from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 141 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo with Ryan Donlevy, and the Giants head to Atlanta in week seven looking for just their second win of the year, trying to get the offense on track. We'll talk about all that. We'll recap some of the controversial comments from owner John Mara. But if you love what you listen to here on the pod, we would really love if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker. Freaker, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can check us out on YouTube as well. Follow Ryan on Twitter at RYDunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Ryan, a, a really interesting week in terms of news being made around the Giants, but I think the biggest news for the Giants heading into this week. They're fully healthy. Evan Ingram back, a full participant in practice. Olivier Vernon took the field last week against the Eagles for the first time all year, played relatively well. And in the first practice of the week, it looks like the Giants are all present and accounted for as they head down to take on a rather wounded Atlanta Falcons team. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, Matt, that that was the first time uh, all season that all 53 guys have been on the practice field. And yeah, a couple of them were limited, Solder. Uh, a couple other guys were lim- Russell Shepard, a couple guys were limited, but pretty crazy when you think that that's the first time the Giants have had all 53 guys practice. Uh, the problem is I don't even know all 53 guys anymore because they change the bottom third of the roster pretty much every week. Yeah, they're certainly trying to find that right mix of the the final 45 to 53 players on the roster. And the news along that front this week, they promote Grant Haley from the practice squad in a move that I first reported earlier in the week on Tuesday, the release Dante Dion. Uh, Ryan, I I think that that's going to be the theme of this thing moving forward. When you're one in five and potentially one in six, if they're unable to get the job done against the Falcons, you have to really start turning the page and looking towards the 2019 season and trying to get as many young Young players as you can on the field and get them significant reps. Uh, we'll talk about all that. We'll preview the game. But I think we start at the beginning of the week where the biggest news about the Giants came out of the mouth of owner John Mara at the NFL meetings on Tuesday. I was there. A handful of reporters were there at the Conrad Hotel in Manhattan. And the money quote and the entire takeaway was that John Mara wishes that Odell Beckham Jr. would do a little more playing and a little less talking. And the more and more that we hear from the Giants, both in their actions and now their words, and the further and further we get out of the locker room uh, from Bank of America Stadium in Carolina, the day that Odell Beckham Jr. made those comments on ESPN, the less and less it sounds like Odell Beckham Jr. was stepping up and being a leader when he questioned the play calling, when he questioned whether he was happy in New York, and when he questioned whether or not Eli Manning is a problem for this team. This certainly doesn't sound anymore like the Giants are circling the wagons around their quote-unquote leader, Odell Beckham Jr. I I mean, I can't even believe we're still having this discussion. You do not find a leader. The second the Giants find him, it was clear that they they did not take this as a leadership moment. They took it as an act of, uh, you know, whatever, submersion. So, uh, yeah, I, I look, Mara, I, there's two schools of thought on this. One uh, group of people will say Mara made it worse, and one group of people will say that Mara needed to do this, that it's overdue for him to, you know, look, I just paid. You can imagine it, right, you, Matt? You can see John Mara in his office at Giants uh, training facility seething, like red-faced, 
as he's listening to this interview because he just gave him $90 million, $95 million. And the quote that I thought got totally underpaid, underplayed, under nothing got underpaid, uh, totally underplayed was when John Mara gave him that extension. He said, pretty much, I we just can't, we know he's going to be emotional. We just hope he doesn't do anything to embarrass us or embarrass himself. And six weeks later, he did something to embarrass everybody. So um, I just thought that no one really talked about that he- he- that quote when Maris said it at the time, and it was so obvious that he was hesitant to give Odell ninety five million dollars. If you can be hesitant to give somebody ninety five million dollars, and sure enough, you know he was thinking like, "Oh, this is exactly what I didn't want," and it could have been three years from now, and he would have thought about that, let alone six weeks from ne- from then. So I uh, I thought. I'm in the camp that I thought Mara did the right thing. I thought Mara needed to set. I thought Mara needed to put it to let it be known that the Giants are not okay with this anymore. So I thought he did the right thing, but some people will say he did the wrong thing and that he made it worse. Yeah, I, I was there, and you. I didn't need to imagine John Mara sitting in his office and seething. I could tell from the moment that he stepped into the scrum that he was seething about everything. The one and five start, Odo Beckham Jr.'s comments, poor quarterback play, circling the wagons around Eli. All, all of those things, I think, had really been brooding inside of John Mara for the last six weeks. He's embarrassed again. He, he's embarrassed by a one and five start for the second straight year. He's embarrassed by Odo Beckham Jr.'s conduct in that interview. And on the field when he headbutted the cooling fan on the sideline against the Eagles last Thursday night at MetLife. And, and I'm, I agree that this needed to be said. And I think that the, the breaking news that came out of, of Wednesday at the meetings when Mara said that he intended to sit down and talk to Odell Beckham Jr. about his comments, I, I feel like that needed to be done before he goes out and, and mentions it publicly. Because now I feel like any of the goodwill that was built up over the summer between Odell Beckham Jr. and head coach Pat Shermer getting Beckham to come in and participate in all the voluntary workouts without the security of a long-term deal, all of the goodwill and and the the bright skies ahead for this organization and Odell Beckham Jr. 2.0 signing that contract extension. When you go out publicly, as the owner, I feel like you need to be above the fray a little bit. And I feel like by having that conversation through reporters before having it with Odell Beckham Jr. brought this story back to the forefront 10 days, 11 days, 12 days later after the interview had aired. And I think that it brings that friction back to the forefront between a star player and the owner of the franchise. I guess, but it wasn't going to go anywhere. Whenever John Mara was talked, if it was December, he was going to get asked about this. Now, whenever Odell Beckham talks, whether it's today or tomorrow or next week, he's going to get asked about this. Uh, the media, Bottom line, he, he, he can't help himself. <laughs> the yeah. topic gets brought up, and, and he can't help. Nor should he. Uh, nor should he. I mean, I, 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 uh, I believe in transparency. I mean, because when you don't have transparency, that's when you have reports. Anonymous sources say John Maris seething or whatever. I believe in transparency. I think people should be transparent. I think Odell should get up and say what he really feels. So I, I believe in that. I don't understand the I'm not talking to the media thing that other people seem to believe in. I don't. I, I mean, I believe in transparency because when you don't have transparency, you have anonymous sources. So, um, but really, I. My problem with it, I've been wanted to get to this, is I think it's a bad look for the Giants just because Mara came down hard on Odell 
and in that same interview came down soft on Eli Manning. Yep. And he, and he's in a no-win position, right? Because Eli Manning has been a good soldier for John Mara for 15 years. He's represented the organization with class. He's done all the on-field. He's won on the field. He's been great off the field. He's handled tough questions. So what's John Mara supposed to do? Is he supposed to throw Eli under the bus? We The media would go crazy if he threw under Eli Manning under the bus. But it's just such a dichotomy, such a bad look to go soft on Odell Beckham and hard on uh, to go soft on Eli Manning and hard on Odell Beckham when any fan or any reporter can see with his own eyes that the problem with this team on the field isn't Odell Beckham. The problem is Eli Manning. No, I agree. And I asked John Mara point point blank, and this is exactly how I phrased the question. I said, in hindsight, are there any regrets about going all in with Eli Manning last offseason? And the answer John Mara said, I don't think we were all all in. Uh, He said he was the quarterback under contract. He was coming back. He was our guy. Now, here's the thing. The Giants didn't just pass on Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. Allen, by the way, is hurt. Rosen looks shaky so far for the Cardinals. But they also drafted Saquon Barkley number two overall, which I think that if you don't view the quarterbacks as potential franchise quarterbacks, you take the best player in the draft. I think we've both made our points clear about that that. But beyond drafting Barkley, they sunk $35 million guaranteed into a left tackle in Nate Solder. They went and brought in Patrick Omame to solidify the offensive line. They traded a a resource for Alec Ogletree, and they brought Manning back rather than spending top dollar on a potential stopgap quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater or another veteran like a Sam Bradford who became available over the offseason or trading for Case Keenum. They were all in on Eli Manning and it hasn't worked. And the fact that they can't even admit that going all in with a 37-year-old quarterback at this stage of his career was a miscalculation. To me, on one hand, it shows that there, there's an error in terms of hindsight and foresight looking ahead. And B, another comment that slipped through from Mara that nobody's making a big deal about is the fact that he didn't think this was a quick fix. So that tells me that they're all in now on a rebuild. So I, I feel like this has been a rudderless ship for the last two off-seasons, Ryan, just based on what I heard from John Mara on Tuesday. It sounds like really, Matt, that they've come to the conclusion that the rest of the world came to last year. Like the rest of the world, scouts, analysts, media, fans kind of came to the conclusion last year the Giants were in a rebuild and the Giants said, no, 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 no. It's it's the offensive line and it's injuries and it's this and it's that. And now six, you know, six games in, they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, we're not very good. So. Yeah, and you look at what at some of the star skill position players, and you kind of have to put Evan Ingram on a shelf because he's been. Uh, you know, on the shelf with a sprained MCL ever since week three. Saquon Barkley, second in the league in all-purpose yards behind Todd Gurley. You look at Odell Beckham Jr. He only has one touchdown, but he's on pace for close to 1,400 receiving yards and over 100 receptions. The skill position players are getting the job done. It's just not translating to points, and it's not translating to wins. And to me, Ryan, that translates to one big issue, and that's not getting the caliber of quarterback play that you need to get in today's NFL to be successful. They have all the other pieces on offense, even the offensive line. Will Hernandez has played really well, and and, and I think that he is is showing you that he can be a foundational building block for the future, but the quarterback is just not getting the job done right now. 
And neither is the head coach. Let's be honest. I mean, Pat Shermer was brought in here because he's a quarterback guru because of his, you know, sexy offense. He because he, you know, had so much success with the Vikings and he tried to follow this Vikings blueprint of rebuild the offensive line. And, you know, you have uh, the stable of running backs and Dalvin Cook is Saquon Barkley, blah, 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 blah. Pat Shermer's not getting it done either. And he can sit up there and say, we need to score more points and we need to improve and no one's happy as all he wants, but he's not getting it done. I'm not saying he has to be Steve Wilkes, the Cardinals coach and say my job's on the line. And so is everyone else's because no one wants to see Pat Shermer fired after one season. That doesn't do anything in the NFL. That lack of stability doesn't help you, but he is as much culpable. He's the play caller. He's as much culpable for this as Eli Manning. He needs to find ways to get the team points. If if it's not throwing the ball downfield, which is what we're all harping on, it's it needs to be more you know more run game or more Saquon Barkley passes or more trick plays or whatever it is. It's Pat Shermer's job as the head coach and play caller to make the team score more points in a league where points are being scored like pinball machine uh, scores. The Giants are, you know, at a quarters. Yep. And, and I look at this game on Monday night. We can turn the page and break down the game a little bit here. Two things that I would do against the Atlanta Falcons. Their best defender uh, is out for the year inside linebacker Deion Jones. He's been out for the year since week two with Jones out of the lineup. It's Emmanuel Smith, the middle linebacker. Ryan, I- I'm attacking the middle of that defense with Evan Ingram over and over and over again. This is a homecoming of sorts for Evan Ingram among two handfuls worth of Giants players. Uh, I would build this game plan around Ingram with post patterns, get him matched up one-on-one in motion if I can against Emmanuel Smith. I would attack Emmanuel Smith. I would pound the rock in the running game to try and get the offensive line going. And and I don't know that I would even try to air it out with Odell Beckham Jr. lined up against guys like Desmond Trufant or Robert Alford. What I'm going to do with Odell Beckham Jr. is I'm going to do the 12-yard out pattern. I'm going to do shallow crossers over the middle of the field with Sterling Shepard. I'm going to try to get the ball out quickly because that's not something Eli Manning has done this year. And that's how you mitigate a pass rush. Get rid of the ball quickly. I'm going to fire it out to Odell Beckham Jr. six, seven, eight yards over the line of scrimmage and let him do the work yards after the catch. I'm not going to try to force the ball downfield if it's not there. I'm going to attack the weakness of the Falcons defense and hope that that is good enough to get the offense on track. Yeah, the Falcons secondary stinks too. Let's call what it is. I mean, the Falcons are 29th in the NFL allowing 296 passing yards per game. That's not total yards. That's passing yards per game. They've also allowed 16 touchdowns through the air. That's tied for last in the NFL. This is a defense that can't stop the pass. If they're paying attention, they're going to do a soft zone uh, cover two look against the Giants and try to keep everything in front of them. Uh, if that works, then the, then it's hopeless for the Giants because if you can't get behind this defense or take the, take what they're giving you and turn it upfield into more and force them to play up. If you can't find some way to beat this Falcon secondary, then I don't, then you, uh, then there's no secondary you're beating with yep, this. They're off. banged up. They, they have Ricardo Allen out for the year on IR. Keanu Neal out for the year on IR. They're starting Demonte Casey, who's a really good cornerback at free safety. So, so they're a mess right now. So you can attack it deep. I, I just don't know. And I don't have the confidence in Eli Manning to connect on the deep ball at this point. I'd rather try to invest in getting yards after the catch 
match and play a ball control game yeah. because on the other side, you have Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones, you have Calvin Ridley. These are some dynamic playmakers, particularly Ridley, who has six touchdowns through his first six games. Julio Jones still struggling to find the end zone this year, uh, but, but he's still putting up the yardage. And Matt Ryan's a guy who gets rid of the football in 2.6 seconds. He gets rid of it rather quickly. Having the quickest release in the NFL. And Ryan, that's an area where for the Giants defense, the pass rush needs to get better. I thought we saw some flashes from Olivier Vernon the other night against the Eagles. Uh, I thought some of the other linebackers have played well, but it's time to start increasing Lorenzo Carter's snaps. It's time in the Nick to start working Grant Haley in for BW Webb. It's time to try and rotate Michael Thomas in at free safety. It's time to start getting some new looks and evaluating what you have on the roster, uh, both against a high-powered offense, but also to get a feel for what you have in 2019. No, I agree with what you said there. Uh, I agree it's time to get guys, new guys, some looks. I like the suggestions you made with Carter and Thomas and Haley, um, but you mentioned Matt Ryan having a quick release. He's not going to need it against the Giants because the Giants pass rush is non-existent. So it's almost hard for me to believe this is the franchise that, you know, year after year would pick a defensive lineman in the second round of the NFL draft, like Tuck and Yumanura and uh, Kiwanuka. Where are all these guys? I mean, the Giants have no pass rush. They have no pass rush. I thought the three, four would get you more of a pass rush. It has not, uh, the look, the four, three, the giants used to have was much more, you know, pass rush, uh, friendly, even the last couple years without those guys, I just rattled off. I just, I'm stunned by the lack of pass rush. The giants are getting. And I don't know how you fix it either, because I don't think that well, outside of maybe Eli Apple, Janoris Jenkins had a couple of really terrible looks against the Eagles and Alshon Jeffrey on Thursday night. He gave up the 68-yard touchdown to Tavon Austin earlier in the year. I, I don't know how you blitz more, right? Even if you play Lorenzo Carter, even if you're going to design exotic blitz packages for Olivier Vernon, I don't know that you can trust the back end of your secondary with the way Curtis Riley has played, with the way Janoris Jenkins has played. You're almost relying on a three-down lineman to generate pressure because I don't think that James Betcher trusts his secondary to make plays. And Snacks isn't going to generate pressure. It's the weak point of Snacks' game. So I really don't understand where the pressure is coming from. It's coming from Olivier Vernon and pretty much no one else. So uh, don't see it. So I get, again, that puts a lot on the secondary. The secondary hasn't really held up its end of the bargain. I, I think we've spent so much time at on the offense and Eli Manning and Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley that we've really ignored what a gigantic uh, disappointment the defense has been. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree there because, I mean, if you want to look at it, and I remember walking into the press box uh, prior to the game against the New Orleans Saints, and I was thinking to myself, who's been the best Giants defensive player? And, and, and I guess you could build a case for Damon Harrison, but nothing's really jumped off the page for me. Right, he's, he's a, he's a run-stopping nose tackle. He's not going to generate pressure. He plays 55% of the snaps. He, I mean, I can't give him the best player. Right. I, I, I think Landon Collins has been wildly inconsistent. He's had a couple of games where he's had 11 yeah. or 17 tackles and led the team, but that's almost out of necessity because he's yeah. the last line of defense, so he's making a tackle 8, 10, 12 yards downfield. Jenkins, the, after a start to the season with that pick, he played average at best and, and pretty much average against above-average 
wide receiver competition. So yeah, if well, he, play, he shut defense, down Michael Thomas. Uh, that, the thing did. everybody gets lost, and Michael Thomas is up there as the, one of the five best NFL receivers, and Janoris Jenkins shut him down. The problem is yeah. his his performance against the Eagles was nothing short of questioning his effort. So uh, people have forgotten that. But I think the best player so far, you know. On defense, top to bottom, has been Alec Ogletree. I think, you know, he look, he hasn't wowed you, but he did make a great interception. He's a tackling machine. He, he's, yeah. effort, he's a high-effort guy. But I think the best guy per snap, he's not even a starter. I think the best Giants defender per snap all season has been Kerry Wynn. Uh, he, only, he doesn't play a starter's workload. He's always around the ball. I think he's been... He's continued what was a good preseason. I, I think he's continued that into the regular season. Good for Kerry. But if I had told you on July 30th that Kerry Wynn was going to be the best Giants defensive player, you might have said, oh, God, this team's one and five. Right. And I think that's part of the problem with the Giants defense is they don't have more than one Al Gogletree or more than one carry win. And Landon Collins, in what amounts to a contract year for him, because he's going to want to open up long-term extension talks with the Giants over the offseason, I don't think he's played to a level where you would feel comfortable committing four or five years at 20-plus million dollars to him. Well, it's not uh, 20. At, It'd be 12. 12 is the top of the safety market. 12, 13 million dollars is the top. Still, given their cap situation, I, I don't know that he's played at that level for them this year. And, no, and, and I don't either. No, I agree. But yeah, if you're talking five years and $12 million, $60 million, that might be what Landon Collins wants as his, you know, there's room for negotiation. That might be where Landon starts. The Giants might start at four years and $8 million, and that's a $30 million gap. Sure. So they're going to have a hard time finding middle ground, I think. Yep. Uh, let's uh, zero in on this game real quick here. Uh, finish the sentence for me, Ryan. The Giants win this game if... They score 30 points. Yeah, they that's a good one. To, they have to score 30 points. This has to be a shootout. That's the only way they win this game. And we know 30 points is kind of the magic number for the Giants. They've only done it once since uh, the 2015 regular season finale. And that game they lost on a 63-yard walk-off field goal. Win the turnover battle for me. I think that if they can win the turnover battle, limit Matt Ryan's opportunities on the field with that offense, I don't think they're capable of winning a, a shootout game against Atlanta. And, and I know their defense is banged up, and I know that they're ripe for the picking. I just don't have the confidence in the quarterback to take advantage of that at this stage based on what we've seen over the course of this 1-5 and five start. But I think if the Giants can play some sort of ball control with Saquon Barkley and limit Ryan's touches, and, and if Janoris Jenkins can get a time timely turnover or, or you force a fumble or two. I think you can beat this Atlanta team, you know, 24 to 20, but I just don't think that that, that, that 37 to 30 type of a game is a type of a contest that the giants are built to win at this point. Yeah, they should be built to win it. That's, that's the problem. They should be built to win it. So uh, let me give you the problem with what you just said, Atlanta, as bad as they've been, has only had three giveaways all season. They have two interceptions and one fumble. So to win the turnover battle, you're going to have to win it one nothing. basically. Uh, I have no faith in the Giants not to turn the ball over at least once. The Falcons are plus four 
in turnover di differential. So they have seven takeaways compared to four giveaways. The Giants are minus five. They have given it away nine times and they've only taken it away five times. So Atlanta's plus four, the Giants are negative four. So that you're, you hit a good one. If the Giants can do that, then maybe they could win the game. But the odds are certainly stacked against them. They're the They're the sloppy team in this game. Yep, and they're going to have to eliminate the penalties, too. We, we've, we've heard the excuses of penalties putting them behind the line of scrimmage. We saw the impact. And again, there's a lot of finger pointing to be made towards the officials in the Carolina game. And they certainly blew a couple of the calls late. But you need to eliminate the turnovers and eliminate the mistakes because, again, the, the Falcons are not setting the world on fire right now. They're, they're down some of their uh, biggest playmakers on both sides of the football. But if you give Matt Ryan the opportunity with Ridley and with Jones and with that offensive line, they're going to put up numbers. And I think whether it's eliminating turnovers, eliminating penalties, you can't give them extra opportunities. And when you do have the ball, the Giants have to do a better job of staying ahead of the sticks. And, you know, right out of the shoot against the Eagles last Thursday night, you saw Eli Manning turn it over on, I believe it was the second play of the game, the interception to uh, Camus Gruger Hill deep in their own territory. Those sort of mistakes can't happen. You have to stay in second and manageable, third and manageable, first and 10, put together sustained drives because all it takes is one or two plays over the top to Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley, and that can turn the outcome of the game against you really quickly uh, via the big play for the Falcons. Yeah, look, the fa I, I did a pretty thorough breakdown of this yesterday on NJ.com. The difference between the Falcons and the Giants offenses right now can really be summed into this. Neither star receiver is scoring touchdowns. Beckham has one. Jones has zero. Uh, the stat that really blew my mind was Odell Beckham has one catch for negative two yards in the red zone in six games. Julio Jones has zero catches in the red zone in six yeah. games. Uh, so neither guy's been a factor there. And but the Giants and Falcons have played three similar teams, the Eagles, Saints and Panthers. So they know the defensive looks they've been getting. They know how to scout each other. Uh, the difference is the Falcons are getting the ball in the red zone to other players. Ridley had six touchdowns. Austin Hooper has six uh, has two touchdowns. Uh, Mohamed Sanu has three touchdowns. They're getting their other weapons involved in the red zone. When teams are doubling Julio Jones, they're taking advantage of it. When teams are doubling Odell Beckham, the Giants are throwing a two-yard dump-off pass to Saquon Barkley. They're yeah. not getting... They're not getting Shepard or Ingram. They don't even have a third receiver really involved. Uh, it's just it, or Red Ellison when he was in for Ingram. They're they're not. They're, when the Falcons are a option is taken away, they have B, C, D options. When the Giants a option is taken away, it's throw a two yard pass to Saquon Barkley. Yep, yeah, and I know that I've harped on this ever since Week One against Jacksonville, and I'll continue to pound this drum. They're not designing plays for Saquon Barkley. They're not calling designed wheel routes. They're not doing a good enough job of lining him up in the slot. They did it a little bit against the Eagles, putting him out wide as a wide receiver. They need to do more of that. He has 373 receiving yards, but a vast majority of those plays are dump-offs. He's standing in the flat as a last resort for Eli Manning. You get the ball quickly to him in space, it gives him a, more, uh, a better opportunity to break uh, a big play off and make a play isolated against a linebacker. Ryan, you you glanced over this real quick, the common opponents so far for the Eagles, for the Giants and Falcons, rather, the Eagles, the Panthers, and the Saints. Dan Quinn, the head coach of the Falcons, who I think is one of the brighter defensive minds in the league. Jersey uh, made guy. A, made a, yeah, exactly. Made a great point on the conference call with us on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, rather, that 
when they prepare for the Giants, they don't just study Giants film. They look back at the common opponents and study their own film and look at how those teams defended Julio Jones or how those teams defended Odell Beckham Jr. And you touched on this briefly, the soft cover two, the soft zone defense, the Giants need to find an answer for that. And the two ways you beat it, Evan Ingram over the middle against Emmanuel Smith and design passing plays for Saquon Barkley, both as a receiver and more than just dump offs as a back out of the backfield as a running back. That's how you do it. And we have not seen Pat Shermer do that uh, well enough through the first six weeks of the season. And if they have any chance of winning this game and moving to two and five, those have to be the foundational starting points of your game plan on Monday night. Just give Saquon Barkley the ball as a running back. We might be making it too complicated. Another way to beat a soft zone defense is to pound the ball with your running back. Yep. Uh, how, how many games has Saquon Barkley had 20 carries? The answer is zero. Zero. Zero games has he had 20 carries. So it might just be, Matt, that you have to get Saquon Barkley 20 carries in a game. I mean, yep. that's you use the number two pick on him. Use him like a – I understand he's multidimensional. Use him like a power running back. Pound the ball and get the defense out of that look. Yep, let's see if the offensive line can pave the way through the running game. Uh, before we get to our picks, Ryan, we, we always ask for the five-star reviews because they help us grow the show. Uh, the newest one that came in, October 4th, from JLo1519. Really enjoy this podcast. Obviously, extremely knowledgeable guys, and the show is entertaining as well. Keep up the great work. If you leave us a five-star review over the next couple of weeks, we're going to read them on the air on the podcast. Whoa. So please subscribe and, and, we'll, and leave us those five-star reviews. They really help us out so you want to pick from me now let's, let's hear your pick uh i picked the falcons i know i said if the giants score 30 points they have a chance to win but i'm pretty much gonna say they lose either 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 way so i'm gonna pick a shootout falcons win 34 30 I'm right along those lines. I don't think the Giants get to 30. I think this offense continues to be stuck in neutral. And the same whispers that we hear calling for Kyle Lettis to start, the same criticisms of the quarterback, the same uh, you know worries that are coming out of the locker room are going to build into a crescendo. Ryan, I see the Falcons winning this game 37 to 23. That would be bad. That's a blowout. That's a 14 yep. point. That's a two touchdown loss. That On will, national TV. Yeah, that'll just a- emphasize everything even louder. Yep. So while we're down in Atlanta, we'll have to get some Southern comfort food and hopefully Giants fans making the trip will as well to feel a little bit better about this one and five start. Ryan, any parting shots as we get out the door here? Yeah, I don't like Monday night football. <laughs> it, it's going to make for a long night. That's for sure. I, I just don't like home isn't I, that early. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Monday night football. We can get into that more, I guess, when they play the 49ers after the bye. But no, I don't like it. So. All right, we'll, we'll preview your disdain for Monday Night Football in a couple of weeks. He's Ryan Dunleavy. Follow him on Twitter at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm Matt Lombardo at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter. You can also follow the show at Talk is Cheap NYG. Ryan, I'll see you in Atlanta. <laughs>